What's up, guys? Welcome to an all-new, very special episode of Convos on the Pedicab. Right now, we have an extremely special guest. We got city council candidate in District 2, uh, former elite professional boxer, Casey Ramos. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me, Alex. I appreciate it, and uh, I appreciate your endorsement also. Yes, yes. You know, that was, uh, that was real big news, uh, real good timing, and I think it was the right move for both of us. I, I agree. Um, you know, and I'm going to be very honest, too, since we're, we're jumping right into this. Yeah. I, um, I had no interest in wanting to run for city council at all. It was literally the last thing that I wanted to do. All I wanted to do, I just wanted to ride my pedicab, do jujitsu, <laughs> spend time with my girlfriend, and make rap songs about conspiracy theories. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's literally all I wanted to do. But, you know, when, when our, our city officials are actively um, trying to push me out of Austin through um, expedited gentrification housing policies, and then by shutting down the economy and not letting me make a living so that I can stay here, well, you have to fight back because if you want to live somewhere and if you want to build a life for yourself, you have to take a stand. Otherwise, people are going to walk all over you. Yeah, man. Um, it's, it's like standing up to a bully. You know, The only way that you don't get bullied is if you stand up to one and you right. fight back. Right. Um, so I ran because of that. And then I, I saw Casey running too, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. If I knew Casey was running, I wouldn't have even bothered to throw my name in the hat. But you know, I followed through on what I what I commit to. I thought I had really good ideas yeah, and so does, Ka- did, so, does, yeah. so does Casey, but you know, he maybe have not, he didn't expound on some of them as much. And I brought some of these ideas to the forefront that yeah. Casey likes a lot. And right. um, then after a while, like I got these ideas to be a lot more mainstream and I got attention from them. And then, you know, um, we looked at the data, we looked at the math and we realized that, you know, Casey has a much better chance of winning and also getting into a runoff. Um, but I also now have enough support where I can help him. Right. And, you know, ultimately, I feel like we really need people like myself in government. And, well, Casey, he's a person like myself. And the last thing you ever want to be is Elizabeth Warren on Super Tuesday. So that, that's why I, I made the decision at the time that I made my decision. Yeah, man. No, it, was a good, it was good timing, and uh, I appreciate it. And, yeah, we got a lot of same ideas Sometimes we don't always align, you know, perfectly. But I mean, we're young. We're two young men. We're living in a, in a growing city, and we're trying to get our footing. Exactly, right? and we both understand the need for a middle ground. Right. On everything, you know, like with yeah. COVID, with, um, well, I think with like the code next, we're pretty much on the same exact same page. Right. With like right. the rail stuff, we're on the exact same page. Right. Um, with the homelessness, we're pretty much on. Yeah, we're kind we're, of on the yeah. same page with the homelessness too, right? Yeah. Like we. I think we're uh, the homelessness issue is. Uh, you know, public and safety hazard. No shit. You know? Yeah. So, you know, we we agree on most of the things. Uh, maybe even defunding the police, but maybe even the way we would go about holding holding the police accountable might be a little bit different. Uh, COVID, maybe maybe a little. I think bit COVID. Different. We the, the the one thing we disagree on is COVID. Right. But right. we don't. But even the way in which we disagree on COVID, we also understand the need for a middle ground. And there's just extremism on both sides of the equation. Yes, and that's not I good agree. or healthy. And we need a, a common sense middle ground. We need common se- We need to have a common sense discussion on social distancing, on mask wearing, on when you wear the mask and when you don't wear the mask on, um, you know, on how do you keep the economy open while also true, um, preserving true. public health? Mm-hmm. How do you preserve public health while also preserving personal liberties? We need these open discussions, and I feel very confident in Casey's ability to um, recognize that and facilitate those open discussions. Right. Well, it's all about listening. 
you know, yes. being open, listening to people, listening, listening to both sides and uh, just using your best judgment. Like, I mean, like we don't agree on COVID, but we can at least agree that it exists. Right. We agree that it like, exists. It yeah. exists. It's out there. And maybe about, you know, we don't agree about social distancing or wearing the mask too often or being told what to do. I think the, the issue is that you want to keep your liberty as an American, yeah. as a person. You don't want to be told what to do. You don't want you know, you want to be, be a free spirit, which is the American way. And I agree. But at the same time, you know, we have to be also American and be conscious and be, you know, loving and caring about our family, about other Americans, other other Americans. And so, you know, and I think that the practices that we're doing with COVID, we should have been doing already. Keeping our restaurants extra clean, keeping our grocery stores extra clean, people wearing masks, you know, because I used to see people like go to a buffet and just be like breathing on the on the glass and i just like oh my gosh like you know like come on like keep your distance keep you know be respectful of other people so that being said i think that there are certain times when you should wear a mask and you shouldn't like maybe when you're at a buffet you probably should just wear a mask at a buffet for the sake of the food for the sake of the food yeah right right? you know Um, for the sake of the food or if you go to a hardware store wear a mask because that's probably for your own health because there's so much shit you're breathing in at a hardware store Mm -hmm. um you know what I and mean? People, and the rest of the right. world, really, the rest of the world has been wearing masks. Yeah, but like I don't want to be nothing new, like you know? the rest of the world in that department. I think that too much of my mask wearing is a communication barrier, too. Yeah, it, yeah, true. And it also could be, you know, a health a health issue. You yeah. know, your uh, respiratory system is not functioning as well, you know, so. Um, Anthony Fauci wrote a paper, um, like, in 2008 about the swine flu mm-hmm. and said that the biggest um, – it was either no SARS or the swine flu, one of the two, mm-hmm. and he said it was it was about SARS, and he said that like the biggest uh, complicate like death complications were re- resulted from bacterial pneumonia. Huh. Interesting. So bacteria that's being stored on your mask. Potentially, yeah. Back, I mean, it didn't say directly, but that's kind of something that should be considered and thought about. Right. Yeah. For sure. For um. Sure. So you have to like there are you know times to wear a mask, times not to wear a mask, and also the right type of mask. And the right there's type not, of mask. Because I feel like there's a lot of misinformation about there about like the, what you, the kind of mask that you have on the one that's like like you know first they were saying no those are <laughs> those are spreading it more and now they're saying no that those are actually protective. Yeah. And then these these masks that I have on, they're they're saying that these don't work as well. But I mean, well, I, I think you just have to you know go so, with it on your own for now because there's not there's not a solidified set of uh, rules and guidelines. I feel like yeah. there's we're all over the place. Yeah. And, and also too with these PPE, th- th- this is one thing that's been getting to me. Is I mean this is like crazy, is that a lot of the candidates out here have been doing these huge PPE distributions with no regulation, like they're not health officials. Like they're just regular people out there distributing other health items, like unregulated. Like you, you know, telling how many people, more people that you're getting sick by doing that. You know, yeah, it doesn't this, seem very be... healthy, right? Like, no, man. If no. you're gonna touch PPE and distribute it on a wide scale, you should have someone who knows about public health. Or you should be like a licensed health official to do that kind of stuff, not just the candidates that that wants to get their name out there. And that's what I've been seeing. Yeah, people are definitely doing it. Or people are taking selfies with their mask on. Like, why are you taking a selfie by yourself with a mask on? <laughs> that there's, there's no reason for you to wear that mask while you're walking your dog. True. You know what True. I mean? Or, while, yeah. or There's no reason for it. Just yeah. People need to just be honest about all this stuff. Right, also, right, right. Um, I just want to clarify this, too. Like, I'm not, like, a full-blown anti-masker, okay? Right. I'm not, all yeah. right? Um, but I do think that prolonged mask wearing there needs to be a discussion on prolonged mask wearing and when to wear a mask and when not to wear a mask right and it has to be an honest discussion you know mm-hmm. i was even when i did my my finance stuff and i handed in my treasure my, my papers people were behind their in their desks but with with a closed door right right, right. in their own office with mm-hmm. a mask on in their own office <laughs> 
like there is or like, no or like uh, you don't like whenever people are in like their car or like couples people, who are in their car so like, people do that because they're just so used to and so conditioned yeah. to always wearing the mask true and that's another problem too. A conditioning, conditioning yeah that, like, that's another know, that's another problem not using your own free will your yeah, own mind that's another, but, that's um, another yeah problem. and i get that stuff you know i um, get that stuff but just me i think the reason why i've been so avid about it is because i'm a family man i have a newborn baby you know, and if the, if and I know for a fact that something out there, whether it's COVID, something out there is getting people sick, right? Yeah. We can agree on that. Something so is if getting there's people any sick. Chance, yeah, if there's any chance of me catching that, like I don't even want to put my daughter. At you don't want to. Do yeah, yeah, I just don't even want to risk it at all. That that's you know that's very commendable. And people have passed away. You know, people that I like, people that I looked up to, mentors. You know, people have passed away from it, even though they were they might have been ill already, but still it, it exacerbated the issue. And it's just a sign. It's just respect. Yeah. You know, respect but, for other people. Speaking of respect, though, one know. of the things I really like about you is that you've never made me do anything while I've been helping you. Yeah. You've never made me do anything that I didn't want to do. No. You know, if no, I didn't want to wear it, yes, if I didn't want to wear a mask yeah. uh, at certain periods of time, you never told me to. You've never once told me to no. put a mask on. No. I Even think though I told you're you wearing, not to walk in people's yards. I think that's the yeah, only that was thing. Yeah, you told me not to walk in people's grass. That's, yeah. the, that's <laughs> the only thing I've told you to do. But I mean, that's that's also another thing because that's common sense. Yeah, that's common sense. That's just good old Americans don't want you walking in the property. Yeah, no, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to work on that. I got to work on that. I got to work on But yeah, man, yeah, of course, you know, because it's it's a choice. We live in America. We live in one of the the greatest countries in the world. It's it's all about free choice so if i want to wear a mask why are you going to judge me for wearing a mask if you don't want to wear a mask you don't have to wear a mask but don't don't look down on me for wanting to wear a mask because i'm an american no. i have a choice and i can I, do it exactly you know? and i won't i think that there needs to be that that middle ground right um because if you feel comfortable wearing one sure right. and if you don't well let's let's talk about when you should wear one right and that's um, what that i think that goes back to just having a set guideline there's no it's just like too it's too much of a free-for-all well, out there yeah and like then, the ppe distributions People handing out masks, people like wearing masks in certain places and not wearing. Yeah, you know, and, and then and then our public officials who tell us to wear masks, like Mayor Adler, are seen photographed without their mask on at restaurants. So, you know, when yeah. when you're doing that, when it's rules for thee and not for me, mm-hmm. what do you think people are going to tell you? Or when these people are trying to nanny you and legislate these, um, le- you know, legislate these rules, right? But they're not helping your small business, or they're literally seeming like they're taking away from our culture while you know adding to their real estate interests right well of course there's going to be a backlash like yeah. what do you expect you mm-hmm. know what do you expect right right so yeah i mean it's an interesting subject and it's uh something that's probably won't be solved or won't be um you know we won't come to a common ground for for, for a while until we find out some more facts because like i said just misinformation not a not a set not a set uh guideline about how we're going to act interact with each other and just uh Dude, you know, you another, another thing, too, um, with this whole mask wearing stuff is that all these like liberal Democratic socialists and whatnot, you know, they, they talk like a big game about worker rights and everything. None of them are like lobbying or advocating for higher pay because you have to wear a mask all day. Yeah, true. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's harder work. That's so that, that was going back to what I was talking about, about wearing a mask and it uh, hampering your uh, rep- res- respiratory system. Right. Because whenever you're putting the mask on, you're not breathing fully. You're not you're not inhaling oxygen fully. You're not uh, exhaling car- uh, what is it carbon dioxide fully. Yeah, you're, you have carbon. You're inhaling you know? CO2. That's really yeah. bad. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, man. So, uh, again, this is such a new thing to us. It's not you know. It's it's sort you're, of you're kind a pro of boxer. Foreign, you know, you're yeah. you're, a, you're a pro boxer. Mm-hmm. Um, have you gone running with your mask on? You know, it's funny, man. Uh, there used to be this thing at like sort of at the tail end of my career. Uh, there was these these oxygen masks. Oh, I remember like these, those. Like these high level. I remember those. And I used to just look at people like, man, that is just so dumb, man. Just run faster. 
you know, just run harder. Like, you know, you don't need that to get in shape. Like, but it, it will hamper your breathing. But I mean, uh, no, nah, I've never run with that. I've never run with the mask on. I never run with headphones on. I said the, the thing that, only, that would all, that I would only use to help me in training would be like, I would wear a sweater to make me sweat more. Well, cause you have to make weight and stuff, right? right? Yeah. yeah. No, or just to make it harder on yourself. You, you know, you train harder. You practice harder, then the the fight's just that much easier. Right? I try not to run with. And it's never an easy fight, right? You know, I no, don't ever say it's no, easy. You I, can just make it easier on yourself by you know training right, eating right, you know making the weight right. Yeah. You know, you can make it easier on yourself. I've had a, sure. a couple of fights myself, not nearly um, on Casey's level <laughs> at all. But um, when I was training for fights, I used to not run with headphones either. Right. And I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. And it, I just felt like I, you just wanted to make it as awful as possible. Yeah, exactly. Because it's going to simulate what the fight's going to exactly. be like. And the fight's yeah. going to suck. And if you have music mm -hmm. on, you're not really thinking about no. what you're doing with it. And it makes the workout easier. And exactly. that's that you're, 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 you're not cheating focusing. yourself yeah, exactly. um, of the experience. Mm -hmm. and the more awfulness you experience while you're training the less awful your fight is going yes, to be. Exactly. So, you know, that goes back to me being a kid and, you know, wanting to listen to watching Rocky, you know, you watch Rocky and Rock, there's music always playing in the train. There's always music playing in the training sessions, but that's, that's the movies, right? Yeah. So whenever I was training, my dad, who was my coach, my lifelong coach, who was also a Marine, who trained me like a Marine, like from a day, from day one, from a little kid <laughs> up, like, so, uh, like it was really strict and, uh, no music, you know, no music, no girls, no, no distractions. So, and I just got used to it and I, I was successful. You know, I was 24 and one, reached reached top top five in the nation, top 25 in the world. Got signed up with a major company, and all of that because it was, you know, it was really strict and it was the right way. It was it was realistic. It wasn't Rocky movies. We weren't training like Rocky movies. It wasn't all glorified. It no, was like real nitty gritty. So, yeah. It was real nitty gritty type stuff. You know, boxing boxing is a hard sport. Very hard sport. It's uh, scientifically proven to be the most difficult activity in the world. Aside from gymnastics, I believe. You think gymnastics? I don't know. There uh, dude, are definitely bull riding, bull riding, bull riding, bull riding, bull riding. Yeah, bull riding. Yeah. I think like a high level wrestling. I think any kind of combat sport yeah. is going to be a very. They're so similar and they're yeah, so yeah. they're so difficult. MMA so too. Many, MMA, MMA is, is very, very difficult. difficult. It's very taxing physically because you're doing all you know? these martial arts. Yeah. And if you if you like if you want to fight or you want to fight seriously, mm -hmm. your sparring partners are going to be elite bot like yeah. your sparring partners yeah, are people like you. So it's like you're getting beat up by everybody in their specialty. I used to watch Anderson. Silva videos and he used to go to the LA uh what LA is it boxing. The, the wild the wild card wild boxing, wild card, yeah. Yeah, not LA boxing he used to spar yeah, yeah. mm -hmm. yeah. he spar all kinds of world-class people and, and they'd be tearing him up but he'd be in there man he'd be like you know he'd be giving it back to him and that's what it takes to be a to be a world-class fighter in any level you have to do what's uncomfortable and you, you have gotta, to take yourself to levels yeah. that you don't want to go to and that's what it and takes. you really got to put your ego aside especially right. in a sport like MMA because mm -hmm. a sport like MMA really makes you realize how bad you are at everything because uh, yeah. they mean that there's really no other way around mm -hmm. it because you have to be well-rounded in order to right. do that. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to be well-rounded, you're sacrificing time that you spend from a specific sport. True. True. Um, you know, like, like most world-class jujitsu guys, all they do is jujitsu. Most mm -hmm. world-class boxers, all they do is box. Right. Most world-class Muay Thai fighters, all they do is kickbox. Mm -hmm. Most world-class wrestlers, all they're doing is wrestling. And then when you have to, when you have to, um, split your time up between four different martial arts, mm -hmm. um, you're not going to be, it's going to be very difficult for you to be top notch at right. one of those. Mm -hmm. And in order for it to be, be at the top of your level, you have to train with people who are top notch at their specific skills. Mm -hmm. So you're always getting beaten up. You know what I mean? When yeah. you're doing MMA, you're it, just getting your ass kicked all the well, too, time. Well, well, with MMA, I think what makes people successful is that they, uh, they work on their strengths, right? They work on their strengths and they manage their weaknesses. 
And that's that's what's that's what's uh, interesting to me about MMA matchups is like there'll be a boxer in there going in there with the with the wrestler, and the wrestler's main focus is to get him on the ground, and the main focus on the on the boxer side or the the stand up guys is to stand up and box them. Yeah. Right? So it's a it's a tactical game. It's a it's an interesting interesting sport and something I would probably never do because uh, I'm a, just a, I'm a boxing purist. I love boxing, and it's really you know it's it's not brutal, but it's just. Uh, it's just a different game. It's a different sport. It's something that I, I wouldn't do because I'm just not an MMA fighter. I'm you, just, a boxer. you just don't love it. You just don't yeah, love it. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. and, I, and you can't, yeah. And if you're going to do something like that, you have to absolutely love it. You have to love it. You have to be full on, full in it. And uh, my thing was just boxing. I was full on. I mean, from the from the age of, you know, five years old, you know, till I was 17, I had 110 amateur fights, you know, and then from 17 to 27, for over a 10 year professional career, I had 25 fights I lost once. And even that, lo- that loss was questionable. Uh, it was a vague, it was in Vegas. It was uh, you know it got stopped on cuts on on a headbutt, and they went to the scorecards and uh, I wasn't up. You yeah, know? you, you so, ever thought about you ever thought about like coaching fighters? Yeah, I mean I love or I love coaching. coaching. Like, I coach kids. Coach I've coached like. kids before, and that's that's where I would focus at coaching kids because that was like my thing growing up here in Austin. That's what like man I had the, the most awesome childhood in my you know for me i loved it i loved my childhood i used to travel all around texas and it, and it came from you know boxing i would I, I experienced things that i would would have never experienced before if it wasn't for boxing and it all came from the austin parks and rec department which is uh you know something that needs to be also another place that needs to be well funded you know and also came from the police activities league yeah they're trying to cut funding an, for that which makes the, a lot of these like uh, super left-wing activists don't understand that yeah right right and that's a that's a it's unfortunate you know we have you know, we have good we have good police officers. We have bad police officers, but we have awesome programs for kids for, that bridge the gap between the community. And if we defund our police department, then those 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 bridges are going to be toppled and they're not going to be there and they're not going to help people yeah. like myself advance and educate. And you themselves. also create more crime, especially with the homeless stuff. I was um, I don't know if you saw my episode, but I had Morgan Witt on who's a mm-hmm. candidate for District 7. Mm-hmm. And Morgan Witt, she was super cool. There's stuff we agree on, stuff we did, did uh, you know, disagree on. Right. But she was pretty receptive, even mm-hmm. though, like, I don't think she – I think there were certain things that I was, like, talking to her about that she didn't really – that are just, like, novel ideas because she's very used to being in, like, an echo chamber and whatnot, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was receptive to, like, listening and stuff, which was pretty commendable. Um, but one of the things I was talking to her about was the importance of having our police officers um, do jujitsu on a right. uh, consistent basis. Yeah. Um, so so that, they're more confident in themselves. Well, you're more confident in yourself and you know how to handle stress. Like that, you talk about de-escalation. Right. And the only way that you can de-escalate a stressful situation is for you to be the only person who's calm. Like the only way to de-escalate a stressful situation is to be calm in a stressful right. situation. But that's also easier said than done. These police officers are experiencing some very high trauma stuff like no every day. Shit. And it's not and it's like stuff that's inhumane, like stuff that's not you're not supposed to experience on the daily basis. Well that's you why know? you gotta roll into a combat sport well, because that helps you process that. True. You know, like, but, I mean, I mean, it's not, it's I not mean, a cure. I don't care any sport, it, you know, I don't care how stressful it is. It's not going to prepare you to be a police officer. Nothing right? does. Nothing and does. But I'll take to, to view those things that they see. Like I was on the campaign trail the other day and I ran to a couple, uh, an older couple and their son just so happened to be there. And he's born and raised here in Austin. He was an APD officer. And he was he was telling us, man, like, you know, they, they, they experience and they see some crazy things, you know, children's feet being burned, you know, dead bodies, stuff that. You can't prepare for right. it. You should, it's, it's not. I mean, no human can prepare for but that, it. So but that's why you, you have to train. Sorry, I didn't interrupt you. But that's no, why no, you have good, to yeah. train, and that's why you have to be doing a combat sport like that right. um, to help. You know, even give you a fighting chance at managing the stress. Right, right. right that's why true. you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. I agree. I agree. And uh, and also, it'll be like you know, it'll give you the confidence to 
approach situations um, with uh, more zeal, I guess, you know, more, uh, I don't know, how, how would you say it, you know, just overall confidence. You're just more confident. You're, you're, you're calm. Mm-hmm. You know, I bet you, I, I'm sure just from your professional boxing experience, I'm sure you've de-escalated um, I de-escalate more fights than you all the time, all the time I, without, like, without no, raising just, your voice not, ever. Not just, yeah, not just de-escalating like fights, but like just de-escalating people in general. Like whenever we don't agree on something, like for example, there's uh, people on my team that didn't agree with me uh, not wanting to defund the police. And they were like, well, how could you feel that way? Think about where we come from. And it's true because we do need p- police reform. Like people in my community are targeted by police or they're not, they're mistreated by police all the time. Yeah. But that still doesn't mean that we don't need a well fund. Cause I was, I was just trying to think outside of the box. Think, think abstractly. Why, why do we need a well-funded police, police force? Well, one, they're always stressed. And if we defund the police then that, that's, that means there's going to be less police on uh, per shift. And if there's less police per shift, that means they're going to be more stressed. And if they come into interaction, stressed into interaction, uh, interact with us as a, uh, overly stressed then that means there's more room for conflict yeah you know especially if they think that you're the ones who caused the stress that they're dealing right because yeah he was uh that uh, that brings up uh, another point that the apd officer that was born and raised here he says you know whenever they get calls it's not for something good whenever the police get called it's never for something good it's never like hey you know come over and uh you know uh i saved a baby already or i did something you know when the police get called it's for something that they need to solve or that they, they need to work on and it's usually negative and they're already in that they're already in that red zone, so you know. And that, I think that just goes back to just us understanding the police, being you know interacting more with the police, and uh, having more community engagement. And they need to be well funded to do that. Yeah, and I think that they well funded, better trained. I think like mm-hmm. you know, and then they have to be accountable meaningfully. You yes, know, accountable. Um, me and Gary Both were talking sides. about how mm-hmm. like if there's a shooting or if there's a police misconduct and like all fines and whatnot from the P- the police department, they should just be taken out of the pension fund. Yeah, just or uh, I had an, I had of, an like, idea. Be a taxpayer thing, yeah, you know? yeah, I had an idea. Uh, well, not me, but some some people on my team, and we we agreed on it, and we came up with it. And you know, having the police take out personal liability insurance, similar to uh, malpractice uh, insurance by doctors, because police handle our lives just like doctors, you know, just and even even more so, even more intimately, you know. So if they if they make a mistake, that would weed out you know bad cops automatically. Uh, automatically, you know? yeah. So you know, and then if they have. Uh, you know, personal liability insurance. And if they lose that insurance and they can't just go to another police force somewhere else. And if they make a mistake uh, and hopefully not, they don't ever, you know, they don't ever kill buddy, kill anybody unjustifiably. But if they do, like you said, it's not coming out of the text. Cause whenever that happens, like for example, when, uh, whenever Mike Ramos passed away, RRP Mike Ramos, that was unfortunate. That should not have happened. Yeah. Uh, the police, you know, didn't know how to handle the situation. Might've been a young police officer. I don't know. Uh, the, the the details of it but it just the whole situation was just wrong and you know and it was unfortunate because we, we lost we lost an invaluable life and a, a person and then on top of that if the if the city is sued by the family then we experience a double loss because we're paying for it, the taxpayer yeah. the taxpayers right yeah no I, I agree i think that that seems like a pretty reasonable thing that we should be doing immediately and right. i'm surprised that our city council when they had this meeting they didn't just do that right off the bat well the the city council is disconnected they're disconnected. they're disconnected and they they they're not really thinking for themselves. They're following national trends and they're not looking at us right here directly. What what kind of police force do we have in in, in Austin, Texas? And we actually have people that are born and raised here. You know, like one my, my one of my cousins, my first cousin, Dan, you know, I'm I'm going to say his name, but my first cousin uh is a rookie APD officer. 
and he just made the he just made the last cadet class. Congrats! And, and he, yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a really good dude. He's really good. He and he wants to serve and protect our community. He doesn't want to. He's not out there to kill his own people. Yeah. And he, I, that's what I that's what I want. I want us to be so close to the police force. Hey, tell that him we, to come, that, to, tell that him we, to come to 10th Planet, man. We offer discounts <laughs> for law enforcement. So yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll let him know, man. But that that's what I want. I want us to be policing ourselves. And if we police ourselves, there's going to be less room for conflict. There's going to be less killings, unjustified killings, and, and hopefully killings overall, you know, because they're just going to, you know, I think that if uh, your friends run into you and they pull you over for something and it's your friend, there's going to be no, like, almost zero conflict, you know. And then, and then yeah. also, too, you're going to hold yourself accountable. If, if you're, you know, a, a citizen who might not be doing the right thing and you see your friends out there working hard or your, your, your family members out there working hard, you're going to want to be more understanding. You're going to want to do the right thing. You're going to want to be a better citizen. And you're just going to want to be, you know, just be better overall, I think. No, there, there's no argument with that. Um, another th- dangerous thing, too, about the defunding stuff is that when you combine it with the urban camping. Yeah. You can, I mean, and look, Austin is still very safe compared to other yeah. cities. And yeah. I still feel very and that's what safe I was, that's a, that's, in Austin. Right, yeah. It's, it's still safe. We're you following be, national trends. We're yeah, following, like, yeah. we're, act, we're acting like we're New York City or L.A., but we're Austin, Texas. No, we're, we're, we're one of the friendliest, safe. safest cities. We are a very friendly you know. and a very safe city. But It's becoming less that, and less that way, well, 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 the stuff that we're doing has um, can jeopardize that and jeopardize it very quickly. Yes. Because if you allow urban camping, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I work downtown. I see a lot of this yeah. stuff. Like, what do the, the majority of the people that are out in these tents have? Yeah. Uh, a drug problem. Drug problems. Yeah, mental right? issue. Mental, mental, mental health issues. And, and, you, and, that's, and that's the thing. You don't want to dehumanize no, you folks don't, but you because, be, you know, you just got to be reasonable because peop- they're people, too. They have mental health issues. They have uh, drug drug rehabilitation issues. They, a lot of them probably come from poverty or maybe maybe not have given the right opportunity to succeed no, or I, to advance and educate I, themselves. I agree with all, everything you're saying. Yeah. But I was I agree with everything you're saying. But the, the, the fact that remains is that um, with all that, with all that you just, that you just mentioned, right. all super valid stuff, yeah. a lot of the people that you see downtown living in these tents, especially the ones that are packed out in the tents, mm. a lot of the guys who have all the, who are packed out in the tents, they're not utilizing the mobile lobes and fishes and the, like, the job placement resources that are just urban camping. Yeah. They got, a lot of them have drug problems. Yeah, true. A lot. And, not um, true. And and a lot of them allow, are not from Austin either. A lot of them are. A lot of people, yeah. you know, whenever but, there's uh, networks, there's homeless networks out there that whenever they hear of a city of a city lifting a a, a public camping ban, oh man, it's a it's a it's a homeless festival. Yeah. You know, and yeah. you see it. It's like it's like what a, kind of networks? A, you know, word of mouth. Word, word of, of mouth. Uh, a lot of them have cell phones too. Yeah. You know, true. Yeah, they have cell phones. I've seen it. I've seen them uh, post on Facebook. Hey, they're giving away free stuff over here, or they're doing this over here, and you know, and they they flock to it. And, yeah. And and you can't blame people for wanting to get resources, but let's at least, you know, if you're going to be, you know, reaping the benefits of our city and the growth of our city, and you're going to be, uh, you know, receiving handouts, at least work, your, try to work your way out of it. Right. Try to seek, re- seek drug rehabilitation, seek mental health care, seek ways to advance yourself, not just plot and just stay yeah. there and stay but th- stagnant. This, this is also like a drug dealer's wet dream. <laughs> true. This is a true. drug. This is a drug dealer's wet dream, yeah. Casey. Because if you see a bunch of people who probably have drug problems that are like literally camping out in the streets and can do it whenever they want, um, if you're a drug dealer and you're in a place like Austin where it's kind of a soft city, yeah, you could make a killing. And yeah. then what happens? Like you know, look, a whole bunch of homeless people 
um, the word's out that this is the place to go if you're homeless. Well, mm -hmm. pretty soon the word's going to be out that this is the place to go if you want to be a drug dealer and sell to homeless people. And then, like, other drug dealers are going to compete with each other. You're well, going to have yeah. rival gangs fighting with yeah. each other. And then you're going to have a defunded and understaffed police department yeah. to deal with this. With a, with a guy like Jose Garza, who's probably going to get elected DA, who's not going to prosecute any of this stuff. Like, mm -hmm. what do you think is going to happen? Like, what do you think is going to happen in the next four to eight years yeah. if this trend um, continues at the rate that it's going. True. I mean, that's that, like I said, we're following national trends. It's like they want us to. They want to turn us into New York City, uh, yeah, they, L.A. I, I grew up in New York you know? City. I left yeah. there for a reason. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and nothing against New York City. You know, I'm sure there's great people there, but at the same time, there's also lots of crime, lots of things. You know, lots of bad things going on, and that's just not what we are as Austin, Texas. You know, which is one reason why I wore the cowboy hat and my boots today to remind people where we're at. Do you look great? I appreciate it, man. I, I, wore, I appreciate it. I wore a shirt too. I, I wore a Casey it, Ramos for D two because we need representation here yeah. in Austin. Um, you know, I, I honestly, I, another reason why I felt so comfortable uh, dropping out of this race for Casey is because I genuinely felt like I was being represented. Like I could actually focus on what I want to focus on because mm -hmm. I know that I'll, there will be an elected official that will a um, represent my concerns legitimately and b be accessible and allow me to be active and involved and have my voice not only be heard yes. but even be more amplified because mm -hmm. that's I feel like since I've dropped out my voice is my voice and everything that I've been saying has gone even more amplified than it was when I was an active uh, candidate yeah true man true because uh people saw that you did they, they feel that you did the right thing you made the right move and uh they they commended you for it and I commend you for it uh you know when we first sat down and talked I didn't even think I was even going to ask you to do what you did Right, because you, yeah. you, you invited me. You called me, said, "Hey, man, let's sit down and talk. Let's talk about some things." I said, "All right, man. You know, I'll, I'll give him a chance. I'll, I'll, I'll sit down. Yeah. You know, because I, I liked what you were saying, and I wanted to discuss more about, you know, a lot of our, uh, you know, what we agree on, what we don't agree on." And something just came over me, man. I just sat down and I said, "I need to ask this guy to drop out of the race and fully support me." Because I was like, "What? Well, what is it going to take for me to actually win?" Like, am I just going to run or are we just going to run against each other and take votes from each other? Or what is it going to take for me to actually win? Yeah, because you don't want to be District 10. District 10 is a fucking shit show. because yeah, <laughs> Too but, many yeah. people, yeah. Too many people running and not enough legitimate people running, in my opinion. A lot of uh, citywide, lots of candidates that have no business running. Uh, you know, but you can't knock anybody for it. We're in America. Yeah. Right? No, anyway, we, I, I mean, and, and it takes, and, you know. I shouldn't have said that, that they have no business running because anybody can, <laughs> anybody right, can run. Anybody yeah. can run, man. And I don't want, because you don't want, you don't want to discount somebody like myself who doesn't, yeah, you know. Somebody can say that about us. Too, exactly. You know? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. and it's not, that's not right. But what I meant to say is, you know, I guess be more conscious, right? Be, just be more active. Be, be, think about what you're doing before you do it. And what's, why are you running? Like I asked you, why, you know, why are you running? What do you want to do? What's your end result? Why do you want to, uh, you know, what's, what do you want to accomplish? out of running and i think that we we answered it yeah we, went, we want true change we want somebody to be elected we want you know like our like ourselves somebody who agrees with the people who's open to the people and you know i think we're here we're on our way yeah exactly i mean listen like the reason i was running is my honor it's just one sentence okay right. i just want to be able to live in austin yes that's the only reason like yes. that's the only reason i'm running is because i just want to be able to live here i love True, it here. man same this place thing. is great it's mm -hmm. super accepting you're allowed to function and be your own entity there are a million opportunities here mm -hmm. to do a lot of right. awesome things and it is disappointing that like a lot of that are our our uh, citywide narrative mm. paints a dark picture about how oppressed and how hard it is for people and how everyone's struggling and this and that. And I'm right. like, yeah, that's true, and we need to fix certain things. But well, they make it harder. Are, yeah, well, they're yeah. making it harder. You're making it you know, harder. The people say that right. they're so-called progressives that oh, that, you know, well, the people are struggling out here, and people. Are, well, I mean, 
yeah, people are struggling hard, but there's a lot of people like myself who are doing well, yeah. who are doing well, who have own homes and uh, who have disposable income. And they, but it's becoming increasingly harder for them to be able to maintain that. Exactly because of the policies that they're implementing. Right. Um, but what, what I'm what I'm saying though is that like there are a lot of opportunities to do really well here in Austin, and um, I want those opportunities to continue to exist. And I feel like they were not; they were being um, very quickly taken away, especially in light of the pandemic. Right. Because I wasn't going to run if it wasn't for this pandemic. I, yeah. I, I had no interest in this at all. Mm -hmm. I did the mayor stuff; it was cool, but I was done with it. I really didn't want to do any of that again. Right. Um, you know, but I just, I just want to be able to live in Austin and yeah, because this is a great city mm -hmm. and I've done really well for myself here, mm -hmm. just being a regular average ordinary guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is disappointing that a lot of people within, within our city government or the people, the, the cool narrative amongst like our, our city council candidates is that Austin is really hard and it's really oppressive and everybody's struggling. And the only reason you're successful is because you have privilege. And I'm like, no, yeah. that's yeah. Being living in Austin is the privilege. Yeah, and you exactly. Take advantage of it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm a prime example. I come, I come from the struggle. I come from, I come from poverty, but I was, I was able to manage my way out of it because of opportunities that were provided by the city, Austin Parks and Recs, the Police Activities League. You know, all these experiences that helped me become a professional boxer and pay for my education and you know advance and educate myself. You know. Uh, so, hey, so, so let's. Uh, we're gonna pivot. Yeah. Um, and I want to talk about these, um, the land code. Because okay. um, so one of the things that um, a lot of y'all might not be aware of is that Casey. So Casey, not only was he an elite pro boxer, but Casey also used a lot of his fight money, and he's gotten some pretty good paydays, right? You know. Yeah, I've got some pretty good. I mean, as you know, paydays, but as a professional, yeah. it took it took a while. It took a while. It took a while. And I think I was, he was you know, underpaid, and I think that you know, to be honest, I, I saw some of your fights, and you sh really should have been on HBO. There was probably some issues with that that we could talk about, maybe yeah. for like a follow up episode. Yeah. That's not yeah. that's nothing to do with the elections. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I saw some fights. I was like, holy shit, dude, this guy should be on Showtime. Yeah, well, I was uh, on Showtime. Wait, oh, yeah, I, I didn't know. Okay, Showtime, so okay. I, I, you know, I, I did pretty well. I did pretty well for myself considering uh, coming from uh, where I came from, being a club-level boxer. Uh, but I never had club-level talent. Oh, right? no. So that was the thing. So a lot of times fighters fall through the cracks. But if you're good enough and if you fight hard enough and if you're, uh, you know, you just keep on going, you, you know, you'll get you'll get discovered. You'll get, you know, you'll get. And that's what happened to me. I was uh, an elite. I had elite skills, but I wasn't noticed. Yes. Right? So I wasn't like this highly touted amateur, even though I did have a good record. I was 95 and 15. That's pretty good. You know, as an amateur, you know, went to numerous national tournaments, never won a national tournament, which is why I wasn't highly touted and highly recruited by uh, promoters coming out. So I had to just start from the ground up, club level shows, fighting all around Texas, fighting in the valley, uh, fighting in bars, you know, fighting in a tent somewhere, you know, uh, and it, fighting outside on the baseball field, you know, and it took it took a while. But after a while, man, you know, I just I had the skills spoke for themselves. The truth, the cream rises to the top. Right. So 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 there's another thing that I actually just realized that I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Uh, you still talk to James Kirkland? Oh yeah, man, that's my brother. I mean, yeah. that's, that's my brother. <laughs> I know man. that you, uh, a lot of people don't know that, but you used to, you guys boxed and came up together, right? Yeah, like, man, yeah. out of the Metopolis Boxing Center. I mean, you know, uh, well, the Metopolis Recreation Center, which had a, had a room. It was literally a room, like the size of like you know this this square footage right here, and had a little bitty ring, not even a full size ring. Had four bags, a, a speed bag, and it had uh, three coaches. Okay. And uh, you know, one of those coaches was Donald Billingsley. Mm -hmm. And he was the head coach, and he sort of mentored my dad, mentored my uncle, mentored you know, mentored some of the other coaches on how to how to be coaches. And man, I mean, changed my life, changed my life, you know. And uh, it was a great experience. But 
Anyway, what, what I was getting with this, yeah. and I saw his Canelo fight, and that was a yeah. monster fight. Well, that wasn't the James Kirkland. That was not the that was not the James Kirkland that we know and that we know had the skills he had. If if James Kirkland would have kept the path and 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 stayed strong and uh, you know do what he was uh, supposed to be doing, in my opinion, you know I'm you know we're all fighters, man. We're not perfect. We're all humans, but that was not the James Kirkland that I know. And if there was a James Kirkland that I know, it probably would have knocked Canelo out. Straight up. I mean, this dude was a monster growing up. I mean, he used to be a boxer, too. He used to be like a, a skillful uh, soiree dancer type boxer. And, uh, you know, he's, when he became a professional, he just knocked, started knocking people out. And we start knocking people out. You just start going for it every time. And he just sort of kind of changed his style. And, you know, it just, you know, it was unfortunate the way he, he took that loss. I was there. I was ringside. And I still support him. You know, I supported him all the way. I still support him. That's my brother. I always love him. Uh, he made a little comeback. I commentated some of his fights on his comeback at the Irwin Center and at the Alamo Dome. And, you know, that's my brother. It's always going to be my brother. I love him. And, you know, we came up together. And the experiences that we had as young people were invaluable and helped us make it out. Because, again, he comes from poverty. You get, I come exactly. from poverty. So, we, we come from nothing. We made something out of nothing. And you can't knock somebody for no, doing 100%. that. No, 100%. So, but here's here's the thing, though, right? Like, yeah. um, do you know if – and you're still in touch with James Kirkland right now? Yeah, yeah. I can reach out is to he him. Do, is he doing all right? Like, how's yeah, he doing, like, like financially? Is he like doing I okay said. financially now? He's got a house, man. He's got a house. He's got a car. He, his, his house is paid off. He's, he just made a comeback. Uh, like I said, he had two comeback fights, one at the Frank Irwin Center, one at the Alamo Dome last year. Uh, he's got a good management team and Davies Entertainment. So he's doing good, man. He's all right. He's I mean, doing, okay. he, yeah, he's doing good. But he's yeah. also – so here's another thing, too. And one of the things I talked about was the importance of teaching financial literacy yep. in boys and girls clubs and within underfunded communities. True. And then you take a guy like James Kirkland who's made yeah. millions of dollars. Yeah. This guy's made millions of dollars throughout his career. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine if somebody was teaching James Kirkland – at the age of like five and onwards, what like how to read a balance sheet or an income statement yeah. or what a cash flow statement or, or what a P like, ratio is. Let me, let me is tell you something, like, man. That that's why this may be why we disagree on some things because whenever you come from poverty, you're so far from that. Exactly. Like, that's you know, why it's got to so, be taught in the so, schools, and that's why people should go into even these clubs like, and, and tell people that this stuff exists. Like yeah. you just said, you're so far from that because you don't even know that something like that even exists. Yeah. So why aren't we subsidizing programs to get people True. in those communities yeah. to understand? Hey, this exists. Because imagine if if somebody like that learned all of these, like like had a working knowledge of financial mm-hmm. terminology, mm-hmm. the the millions of dollars he made could have turned into hundreds of millions of dollars, and that yeah. could have really been a whole game changer, even in your own community. Yeah. True. True. Especially where he comes from he comes from uh the east side nor- northeast side air- airport uh you know we grew up in a church uh off of 16th and harvey right off of airport and that's a heavily gentrified area and uh somebody like himself yeah if he would have made it to the top you know educated himself a little more you know been, been a little more financially stable he could have uh, given back to his community a little more but again man i mean you can't knock the dude i mean when you come from nothing you make it and you make all this money. Like, what, what are you supposed to do? What would you do? No, you know I, I get saying? it. I'm like, not knocking I mean, him at all. I'm yeah. just throwing out a hypothetical like, wow. Yeah. Look at look at how many opportunities there are. And imagine if we taught financial literacy in those communities, yeah. there's always one or two people in those communities who makes it big. Yeah. And the person who makes it big, if they get that knowledge, it will literally transform the community. Yeah. And people, that, that's, that's the, uh, the well, message there's another that dude, there's another boxer actually that, that, that comes from that, that comes from our team. Uh, so it was me, it was all my brothers, all, uh, most of my cousins, and uh, it was James Kirkland uh, and another dude named Curtis Meeks, uh, who comes from the same neighborhood, went to LBJ High School, and uh, he's wealthy, right? And he's uh, he took what he made from boxing, he retired, and uh, he just took it and ran with it, and uh, he's doing well for himself, and he's he gives back to his community, he bought his mama house, he uh, runs youth football programs, I mean, he, he does youth sports, he sponsors other young boxers, so, I mean, it's there. 
and uh, he just took a little more initiative to uh, be more financially stable, uh, inform himself on how to how to be uh, you know be wealthy and use his money correctly, and uh, so it's there, man. There's examples. There's there there are people there, and myself too. Yeah. You know, I didn't just go and uh, make the money that I made with Top Rank and fighting on TV in Vegas and traveling the world for training. I actually spent it on things that were gonna uh, pay back dividends later on, helping start nonprofit organizations, uh, paying for school. You know. So I just didn't squander my money. I actually so, invested it right Yeah, away. and I know that. And that was the next topic that we're going to talk about. Right. So you, you started two organizations. You started mm -hmm. Dove Springs Proud, mm -hmm. and you helped start Community Not Commodity. Right. I want you to talk about both of those organizations. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting back, and I'm... I'm yeah, no, this, no. The floor I mean, is yours, yeah. Casey Ramos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, Dove Springs Proud just sort of happened naturally, man, organically. I just was uh, seeking... I was seeking other people out like myself who wanted to give back to the community. I was uh, sort of at reaching the reaching the peak of my professional boxing career and uh you know i met a guy named ricardo zavala another man named george morales and another guy named edward reyes and we got together and we started uh well ricardo zavala had the idea that we needed to have more accountability in our neighborhood and we all sat down at the table and we said well how do we do that and ricardo zavala said well i got this idea it's called dust springs proud and it's gonna be a nonprofit organization aimed at advancing and educating the people and it's gonna it's gonna hold other nonprofit organizations uh, more accountable. So what was happening is nonprofit organizations were coming into Southeast Austin and making millions of dollars, right? Like in grant funds from like the Michael and Susan Dell Foundation, um, uh, from Microsoft, uh, Bill Gates, you know. So I mean, they were getting money on our behalf, and they were spending it on our, on our behalf, but there was no results coming from it. And so we wanted to hold those people more accountable, and they didn't like it. They didn't like us as citizens of our own community trying to take accountable, try to take accountability of our own community. And now, it's, to me, it's probably the most successful nonprofit in Southeast uh, Austin. It gives away thousands of dollars in scholarships. It gives away thousands of dollars in uh, in in funds for people who are in need for groceries, uh, for trips, for travel, for anything. You can literally get on there and you can ask a question. Like for example, the other day, somebody who's from Dust Springs move back to Mexico and he wants to open up a gym in Mexico uh, named after those Springs proud. And he just, he wrote the owner. I mean, he wrote the found the, the head founder, Ricardo Zavala, and he put it up to a vote like America, right? We vote on it. And uh, people voted yes to give them funds to help, to help them start a gym down there in Mexico to help the, to help the underprivileged kids down there. So it's a, uh, it's a great program. It's, it's very successful. And uh, I come in, I tip my hat to Ricardo Zavala, for uh, taking it, running with it, and building it into something that uh, we probably would have, you know, yeah. we, we, we imagined it, we wanted it, uh, but something that we just maybe not had thought was uh, attainable. Because, you know, in all kinds of politicians get back to it. They, You know, whenever you run for uh, city council or you run for anything in office, uh, you're donating to those Springs Proud. They had me ask a bunch of questions, and I was just like, well, I, I don't know <laughs> if I could donate because I just don't know how much money I'm going to get or what's going to mm -hmm. happen, but... Mm -hmm. I've looked into it. It seems like a very good organization, and mm -hmm. it seems like it's an organization where the people on the board have agency over where the money gets spent, and it's, yeah. there's a lot of transparency. Yes. And like when you have like the Habitat for Humanities and the Greg Andersons, and <laughs> everyone thinks like, oh, Habitat, that's great, but no, there's no yeah. transparency or accountability yeah. for how that money gets spent. It could be spent on just more office supplies or another mm -hmm. office, or like it could be spent hiring your buddy to get a cush job to do. God knows what, and you know. Well, Habitat, for, Habitat for Humanity used to be a really great organization. It's something that I used to volunteer when I was a kid, and my mom was a my mom was a a, a, a big advocate of. 
and uh, it just sort of got taken over by these uh, neoliberal socialists, in my opinion. And they're just they want to cramp people into a little space and they want to say that, well, that's the only place that you can live. You can only live in a little apartment. You can't live in a full single family home. And that's not right. That's un American. If you want to help people, then help people live where they want to live. If they want to live in a single family home with a yard and a fence, then, you know, then help them out. Don't just say, oh, I'm going to build these condos and we're, we're going to build we're going to help more people. Which is true, you can help more people, but I mean, I don't think we're—I don't think as people we're supposed to live in a one-room condo. No, that's like some agenda 2030 stuff that you don't yeah. want coming to fruition. Not not to sound like Alex Jones or anything, but it's you know, yeah. you don't want that. That you you want to do your best to avoid that as much as possible. Yeah, and you want people to have space, and you want people to have their homes, yeah. and you want people to have ownership. And I think exactly that, um, ownership. You can't own a gonna, condo, you can't own a apartment. No, and you know? I think that if developers are going to build, you got at the very least build rent to own. If you're going to build yes. in a common housing, it should just all be all of it should be rent to own. Yeah, and even if it's a condo or an apartment. Yeah, just right? rent to own, rent to own, and whatever, man. Like, I, if I were in, if I were running, right, or if I were a public official, mm-hmm. hey, man, you can get whatever tax break you want as long as the people who are renting out your place have the chance to own it um, by making X, Y, Z amount of payments. Right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know what I mean? I like, agree. as long as as long as people have ownership, because if you don't have ownership over your own. Um, your own land or your own property, you're mm-hmm. a lot less likely to be involved because when you own something, you have skin in the game. Right. And when you have skin in the game, you want to, you have things are a lot more at stake for what you mm-hmm. want to do. I agree. I agree. That's one of the issues that's going on uh, in our neighborhood in District Two. We have 50% homeowners and 50% renters. So what happens is the homeowners uh, have, you know, take care of their stuff. They're really involved. They they really care about their neighborhood. But people who rent, who are coming from out of town or coming from wherever, just rent and they just, uh, you know, let their grass grow and they litter or they just come in and they don't give back to the community. They don't. They're not involved. As, they're not as involved because they don't have as much at stake. And they don't understand. And they, yeah, they, exactly. they think that they're being progressive because, you know, they voted for Beto or something for Senate <laughs> or something like that. You know what I mean? Or, or right. And then these neoliberal politicians who are um, who are like expediting all this gentrification and to get all this developer money, they just use stuff like that and co-opt it to get people to vote for displacement. True. True. Well, like with the whole Prop J thing, uh, two years ago there was uh, this uh, this item called Proposition J, which gave people an opportunity to vote mm-hmm. on the land code. Right. Yeah. And, it's then, a they, and then yeah, mm-hmm. and then you know what the the, the you know what these um, urbanists said. To, to stop people from wanting to vote on their own land, on whether or not we're going to have a land code, yeah. on what the land code's going to be. They said, don't trump Austin. <laughs> Literally what they said. I'm like, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's, and that's a problem is when you, when you equate, yeah. uh, you're literally um, equating like Donald Trump with stopping neoliberalism. That's yeah. like, that's, <laughs> can, that's a bad. Yeah. Well, what, ha- look, you know, it's you just, know? it's just a, it's a problem What you know, what we have going on right now. We have people that are saying that they're so-called progressive but in my opinion, we're re- we're being regressive. You know, the the city council is actively trying to take away your rights as a citizen. Right now, we have a case going on with community, not commodity. We have litigation going on uh, with uh, some folks that are taking the city to court because they want to have the right to protest zoning changes, which is a, a major tool in stopping gentrification and stop and, and helping people uh, advance and educate themselves. But yet, the city council is saying they were progressive, but they want to take that right away. Hey, can you explain that a little bit more and also explain community, not commodity, and what the purpose is? And also. You helped write the, this new land code that should be implemented called the People's Plan, mm-hmm. and I want the viewers right now. Since we're well, I had some advice. Really you know, I I, I want to take full credit for that because there's some really smart, intelligent people that that really uh, put shout their out heart. Shout out Fred McGee. I yeah, want him on the podcast. Fred McGee is a Fred McGee, Jim Duncan, Susanna Almanza, Nelson Linder, 
uh, Fred Lewis. I mean, some really great, smart, intelligent folks that could really run this city and do some really great things. And they put together this thing called the People's Plan. And it's uh, just a presentation to the city about what the people really want. What do we really want and what do we really need? And uh, we presented it to them and they're not listening. Uh, but as far as the, the litigation for the uh, protesting zoning, so what's happening right now is Austin is rewriting their land codes. Uh, they're, they're swiping the slate clean. And they're taking single family home, uh, single family zoning, and they're upzoning it to uh, mixed development use or uh, vertical mixed use or, um, you know, other things that are going to not be single family homes. It's going to be apartments, condos, luxury retail uh, in place of those uh, single family homes. And what we're doing is we're we're taking them to court to be able to protest zoning changes, right. which means that we can protest code next. We can protest any rewrite of the land code if we don't see it, uh, if we don't see it matches okay. our demographics or what now, we Now, Casey, how is the upzoning um, going to make um, the neighborhoods more unaffordable? Well, you know, we're, we're, it's, it's, it's going to sell to the highest bidder. There's no ordinances on uh, who's going to be, who's going to uh, be able to buy what because the definition of affordability is completely off. So the, they, they come in, right, and they upzone, and they say, well, if we upzone, it's going to be bigger houses, more rooms, or we're going to have uh, more units per lot. And But that's sort of kind of tricky. And, it, you know, they say it's basic, simple economics. It's just supply and demand, which is completely ignorant, right? As an economics student who comes from St. who graduated from St. Edwards with an economics degree, that's uh, bogus. Right. Because you have not only if you know if you're an economics uh, major, if you're somebody who's an economist, you know that you don't only, you, don't, you not only have supply and demand, you have quantity supplied, quantity demand and a number of outside other forces that are going to impact the price of homes. Right. So we're no longer competing in the local market. So if we just build as much as many homes and as many uh, units as possible, the rice is the, the price is still going to rise because we're not we're no longer competing in the in the local market. There's so much demand. It's almost unlimited here in Austin that no matter what unit or what size the units built, it's always going to go to the highest bidder and, it's, and we're going to be priced out. I, I can I can see that. And, you know, um, you'll still have the single family home temporarily, but because um, because of the, the high cost of these other, other buildings mm-hmm. and because of, the, of who you're going to get to move in, right. um, taxes are also going to have to go up mm-hmm. because yeah, they're going to exactly. have to be a lot more services. You're going to have to do a lot more to improve the roads. Right. They're going to try to build like, um, mass transit systems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're going to have to, um, th- there's a lot of stuff they're going to have to, um, subsidize to, um, accommodate the needs of these people that are living, that want to still live in luxury. Right. True. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's, and they're willing to do it because, you know, that's what they do all around Europe. That's what they do all around LA, New York, uh, you know, San Francisco, they're jam packed in San Francisco. I mean, look at San Francisco. Look. And so that's, that's the, that's another thing that's sort of false that, uh, what they're claiming is that density, density, yeah, density means a more affordable, but let me tell you, no, you go to some of the most dense places in the world, San Francisco, L.A., New York, Hong Kong, uh, Paris, you know, uh, London. These places are jam-packed with people. But guess what? These are the most expensive cities in the Dude, world. people live in cage homes in Hong Kong. I saw a documentary about people living you know? in cage. They have cage homes. Yeah. And they're trying to normalize that. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. You, you don't that's, want what, that that's, what I'm ta- that's what's going back to talking about Habitat for Humanity. They want to make people, they want to jam-pack people so close together. And, uh, you know, we're going to help more people and do this. But... Are you really helping people by making them live in smaller spaces? Or are you, re- or, or like you're saying, are you going to actually do some real damage, help people by ha- building them a single-family home and letting them actually own it so that, the w- that way they can benefit from the growth of Austin? 
And I don't want to. And, and so that's another misconception about how we feel uh, through community, not commodity. We don't want to stop the growth of Austin. We want people to uh, we want people's, uh, you know, home values to rise. We don't want to decrease their home value. That no, means that, that, less that, wealth. that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, you want we, we yeah. want. Yes, we want it. We want people to build wealth, but we just want that. We just want it to be done more equitably and um, equally. And, and, and you want people to have ownership um, where they live. Yes. And it, when, when you're upzoning things and everything's being sold to the highest bidder, there is no rent to own. There's no these developers have no rules to abide by because mm-hmm. it's literally it's going to become an economic free for all. Yeah, and, and, and that's and also another you know tricky subject because we you know we live in a capitalist society. We live in America. Is the best system in the world. We, you know we live in America, and it's it's if you have the money, it's your right to buy and sell whatever you want. Agreed. Do, you know, and I, so Casey, it's you know it's I, tricky. I fully agree with you. It is your right to buy and sell uh, however you want as a, as a you know firm believer in capitalism. But there's two things, right? So one the people that are the biggest proponents of this type of runaway capitalism mm-hmm. are all calling themselves socialists, which is, <laughs> which is just an act, which is, um, yeah, one of the most dishonest, um, and deceitful and disingenuous things that you could do. True. Mm-hmm. Um, so anytime somebody actually, yeah. So, so that there's, there's that, right. Yeah. So that, that doesn't add up again. Like um, I said, it's you know, dishonest. progressive. We're not progressive. We're, they're not, we're, pro- we're, they're we're they're not progressive. It's a buzzword. It's a neoliberal yeah. buzzword. Yeah. True. Um, true. it's a neoliberal buzzword. Um, and then the other, um, what were we talking? We we're talking about the, um, okay. And the other thing is that even in a capitalistic society, the only way capitalism, the, a big reason why capitalism has worked for as long as it has and the reason why it's a good system is because when people own something, they are, they are active. Yeah. And the more people that own stuff, the more you're active to stop bad st- Like capitalism is great, but runaway capitalism is bad. Yes, and I agree. I the agree. more people who are able to participate in capitalism, the less likely you are to um, facilitate runaway capitalism. True. And that goes back to what I was saying about us comp- not competing in the same markets anymore. So we need to be able to uh, facilitate where people who are making certain, certain, certain amounts of income are competing with each other. You know, they're competing in their own little market, in their own little capitalist market. And there's people that are living, uh, you know, or living or making above their means who are competing in their own market. Uh, so that just has to be that, that goes back to the code next or the yeah. rewriting of our land codes. We can easily designate areas where people are who, who make certain incomes or, you know, who make a certain amount of uh, uh, who have a certain amount of wealth uh, can compete with each yeah. other. And, you know? and there's also a correlation between um, home ownership and local involvement. And yeah. there's Austin's a pretty locally involved city as it is, but mm-hmm. it was a lot more locally involved you know, even when I first moved here and it was a lot more locally involved, I'm sure 10, 20 years ago before mm-hmm. I was here when more people were able to actually own homes. Right. Yes. Uh, true. Uh, Austin's a very active city. I was talking to a uh, former council member, Jackie Goodman, and she said that uh, she brought up a really good point that people were heavily involved in Austin because there was more owners. There's more homeowners and people and pe- there's really smart people, too, that live in Austin. Yeah. You know, there's really smart people who know what's going on. And they want to make a true change and they want to see uh, they want to see Austin grow for the better. And they can they can add to that. They can add, you know, if we just cut off the people and we don't listen to the people, that means we're just cutting off a knowledge base that we don't have and something that we need sorely need. Because not every not every council member has the answers. I don't have all the answers. No, you I don't, don't have all the answers. Our city council doesn't have all the answers. We need to we need to look to the people for the answers. Exactly. Because because I, I don't know shit, man. I'm, I, I know <laughs> next to nothing. Um, and but the the fact of the matter is that a lot of our city council members and our candidates know very little too, but they won't even bother to listen to the people right. in their district unless it falls in line with what they specifically agree with, and that is um, 
that is dangerous. And yeah, that's, very dangerous. Yeah. that's why you have these recall petitions circulating around. And to be mm-hmm. honest, man, I think that this time it's going to be successful. Mm-hmm. I think the recall Adler petition is actually going to get the mm-hmm. signatures this mm-hmm. time. Maybe, maybe, but who we're going to put in this place? You know, who what we're going to do? Where's the, so that's, 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 another, another, that's another thing too. There's a power vacuum there. You know, if he, if, if, if Adler uh, gets knocked out of the way, who's to say that just not another uh, person who's going to come in and be even more hev- heavily uh, developer uh, involved, you know? Well, I think that if enough people sign that petition, they know what they're trying to get rid of. So it'll probably be, let's hope it's someone who's the opposite. Right. But you also don't want somebody to be too much the opposite. You don't want yeah. some like crazy right winger to take like his place. <laughs> like that's not going to be good for Austin either. Yeah. Cause um, I've, I've been uh, seeing a lot of things and whenever you, you know, cause that's where we got to be careful about what we're saying about how we designate uh, affordable housing, you know, cause we're using, pe- we're using taxpayers money to, to subsidize other people's, you know, there's hardworking middle-class folks out there that are not experiencing any subsidies and they're, they're being left, you know, to their own devices. They, they have to spend for themselves and they're paying for all of these subsidized housing. They're paying for the affordable yeah, housing. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's a middle class that gets screwed with this tax burden. Mm-hmm. And then it creates anti-homelessness and stuff like that. And um, people need to understand why that's the case. Right. Um, but here's another thing too, man, like the soccer stadium. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our city, Yeah, we had a, you know, our city talks so much about affordable housing, but the soccer stadium was literally, it was the number one designated area for affordable housing yeah, in a Austin. A huge swath of land. Huge swath of land. And I don't even mind the fact that we're building a stadium, right? But yeah. when the guy's paying no taxes, yeah. when 85% of the, the people who have tickets are season ticket holders, mm-hmm. um, when there are no, when there are little to no opportunities available for everyday Austinites to actually benefit from this stadium, yep. what are you doing? And yeah. then you're going to talk to me about affordability. Yeah. Really, man? Come yeah, on. I agree. I agree, man. A lot of the businesses that are coming in here are coming in here for free. And we're the fastest growing city or one of the fastest growing cities in the nation. And we should be able to pay for our own growth. We shouldn't have to rely on the middle class. We should have to, we should be making these businesses pay for it. These businesses can single handedly, the developers, the, the big industries that are coming in here, they can they could single handedly solve our affordable housing. Yeah, issue. I agree. And at the very least, you know, yeah, if we I, just, if we charge no. them, like let's, I mean, they're going to come here no or matter just, what. Or just give people they're ownership. Still gonna, yeah. They're or, still going to be profitable. Yeah, give, give people ownership. You yeah. say, Hey man, um, you know, build rent to own, build X number of rent to own properties, mm-hmm. right? Or, or build actually, and, ma- just make. And them. actually, if you if you're gonna come here yeah. and develop, actually pay into the the, yeah. the. And I can't stand the word affordable housing because it's not it's not right. I mean, it, it should be income based housing, not affordable housing, because the definition of affordability, the way the city has it, is not affordable at all. Eighty percent of the median family income is close to seventy-seven thousand dollars, and I don't make seventy-seven thousand. No, I don't, I don't make it even close. You don't, no, make, you no, don't make seventy-seven thousand dollars. Young even. people like us who are trying yeah, to get our footing in set don't make that. Don't make that money. Yeah, and then you also don't want to be building housing projects to compensate for that either. No, you that's don't. That's also yeah. bad. Yeah, you, you want that's not, and that is, yeah, and that doesn't. Yeah, and that doesn't. That's not. That's not affordable. You don't. You don't want to just because you're never gonna. You're never gonna own anything if it's from a uh, housing project. You're not gonna uh, own it. You need. You're just gonna live, and that's and you need. You need those because you need a stepping stone for people to work themselves out of poverty work themselves out of that you need projects but you also need some place for them to step up to and it's pretty much it's just a, a step here which is housing projects and then it's a step up here which is you know expensive housing yeah. you need something you need, right you there something in the for them to build up on yeah. and that's that you know that's another buzzword is uh, you know we need more middle housing we need more middle housing but missing middle we need the missing yeah yeah cat. right yeah. but you know they don't even really know what they're talking about you need you know you don't need just one missing you need like multiple steps in austin because yeah. again, hey, you know, um, people don't make, people make you know thirty percent of the median family income, forty percent, fifty percent, you know, seventy, you know, hey, all the way up. Um, what do you think about the protests? Oh man, that's uh, another thing. You know, a lot of the people that are protesting aren't people that are affected. 
You know, I, I, I there, there are people there, there, there are people like myself, for example, I have been, uh, you know, targeted by the police unfairly, you know, mistreated by the police. And I don't like people speaking on my behalf who have not experienced that, who just, uh, you know, see things from the outside. Again, they're watching the national news and they get inspired and they want to co- go protest. Well, and it's, you know, yeah, when you've done nothing meaningful or substantial with your life and now you and you, you all of a sudden are going to feel compelled to want to feel like you're a part of something. That, that, that's, that's what it is. It's yeah. like when, you, when you've been raised on participation trophies, yeah. Um, yeah, and, right, you, know, man. You, you have a chance yeah, to feel right. like you're doing something important yeah. and meaningful, yeah. but you're not really because you're not listening to people no. like yourself. Exactly. And you're you just adding up, to the problem. You brought up a really good point too uh, about yeah. the whole defund stuff, right? Yeah. And you said um, while, I, while I've been helping you that the police officers have actually been better at their job and have been a lot more empathetic and more understanding since all this stuff has been happening. Yeah, so I want you to share that with, yeah, like, with the well, class, I've had, I've had, uh, I've had a couple of uh, homies, a couple of friends, <laughs> you know, that might have been doing some questionable things. And, they, you know, I'm not, not, again, man, people have to do what they got to do to survive. But sometimes, you know, we have to hold our, we have to hold both sides accountable. Like one of my friends was out there, you know, walking around, you know, had a little bit too much to drink, you know, wandered away from the house and uh, it could have ended up really bad for, between him and the police and the police brought him home nice and safe and sound like a, like yeah. a little kid, like a little, hey, you know, let's guide you home. And, you know, so the police understand too. The, the, the police department understands what's going on and they understand that they have to hold themselves accountable. They have to understand that we have to hold ourselves accountable too. We need to stop committing petty crimes, driving drunk, you know, stealing things, you know, just, you know, violent crimes. You know, where I come from, we have one of the highest violent crime rates, you know, in the city. And people are afraid to talk about these things. So we just, you know, it's it's not just one-sided. And that's not to say that we don't need police reform either at the national level. And I think that we can be a prime example here in Austin. We can add to that national sentiment, right? We can see, oh, okay, look, Austin's doing it. They're, they're interacting, the police and the community are interacting. Uh, they're, they're, they're holding each other accountable. And uh, we can follow that trend. So we don't need to follow national trends. We need to set our own trend. That way the nation, the nation can follow it. You know, I agree. I was big on saying that our cops should have the EMT basic certifications. Yeah, like man, that. of yeah. course. Yeah, that, that'd be huge. That'd be huge because, like, like you've stated before, they're, uh, they're the first responders. They're, they're the first ones on the scene. Yeah, and it changes the narrative, too. Like, all of a sudden you see videos of cops saving people instead of shooting them. Yeah. Dude, it'll, it'll change how we view police. It'll change the, the, the dynamic of trust. It'll do, a lot of, uh, it'll, it'll do a lot more. And plus, if you save somebody's life, you're connected to that family mm-hmm. forever. And then that family has a resource and you know what yeah and you know what if uh we hold each other accountable the cops might they might be more lenient on us you know they might stop arresting us for little petty petty stuff small minor issues i think that's gonna already happen though you know and and, and that could be better for both of us that could be better for the nation that could be better for us as a society you know the the police being more lenient on the people i think they're gonna be more lenient on the people actually so so did you see the well you were actually me and you were actually on the same podcast. We were both on Brad Swales, the councilman, okay, and I actually yeah. listened to your episode. I really liked it. Thanks, I appreciate um, it. But I saw this episode with a, a, an anonymous police officer, Sam, uh-huh. and he talked about how, um, you know, if like if businesses were like going to be violating like the quarantine stuff, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If that were to come back again, or if, if a bar decided to just reopen even against the city guidelines, mm-hmm. the cops would, would be like, "We're not going to do anything, man. You have the right to own your own business and make a living, and you you, you know we're not going to violate your constitutional rights under any set of circumstances." Yeah. And, but you know, but if if our police are saying that yeah. openly, mm-hmm. and granted his voice is muffled to use a different name, but if that's what's being said, mm-hmm. and I trust Brad Swell, he seems like a yeah. pretty reputable yeah. person, right? Like. Mm-hmm. If that's what the narrative is, 
there is already becoming a much better shift in policing that we should right. um, become more aware of and, yeah. and continue to embrace. Mm. Yeah, I see, and I see it. I see it. And we just have to be more accepting of each other. I think just as people, I think this is just like a nationwide trend. Like, you know, we're so divided at the top with all this stuff going on between Trump and Biden and Democrat, Republican. Uh, but if we bring ourselves down to earth, right, let's bring ourselves to the city level. Let's bring ourselves and be humble here. Uh, we agree on most things. You know, security, housing, you know, access to health care, access to food, you know, being being nice to each other, you know, like, Agreed. you know, and, and, and being being cool with the police. Why? You know, why would we, this is the time that we this is not the time that we want to separate ourselves from the police. We want to be close to the police department. We want to be so close that we become the police department. You know, the community starts to police itself. Uh, less crime, uh, less less petty stuff that's going on. And, you know, like I said, we're just going to be better off as a community and as a, as a city. Yeah. And then the more the more involved you are, the more you can, like, hold bad cops accountable, too. Yes. So that and that, OK, that's yeah. You made a good point. If we keep our police department well funded, then that gives us more leverage to hold them more accountable. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of that. Um, I think one last thing before we wrap up. Um, one of the, one of my concerns about this homeless stuff. Um, yeah, we got to wrap up soon. But one of the things I'm, I'm concerned about with this homeless stuff is the fact that it's kind of being used to expedite gentrification. True. Um, okay. Because, like, look, our, our homeless population since this camping stuff, and you brought this up earlier, you know, when an area lifts its camping bans, dude, people flock to it. And when yeah. homeless people flock to an area, who's, what, um, what do they need? They need yeah. housing. Who yeah. builds the housing? Mm-hmm. developers oh, yeah. mm-hmm. the same developers are probably contributing to our, our like the campaigns of a lot of our council members so mm-hmm. people think it's progressive but in, in actuality it's really just a, a, a means to expedite displacement and gentrification true and I, I mean that's, that, that's uh that might be a little a little far-fetched a little far-fetched but i think it might i think it's a tool to get us out of here i think because i know lots of people that you know from where i come from they're like yeah man if things keep going the way uh, they keep going man i'm out of here you know, I'm gone. Like, I, I can't take this no more. This city's gone. It's not the same anymore. Yeah. So I think that uh, that sentiment, yes, as far as escalating gentrification, I'm not sure if I can see the correlation yet, quite just yet. Well, you know, maybe I'll just look into it a little more. Because it raises the taxes. What do you mean? Like, the more ho- the more homeless people that come, the more you have to pay taxes to, like, fund all these homeless services. Yeah, yeah. And then also, and the middle you know, class not, pays for yeah, it. Yeah, you know? not, not, to put a re- not to really put a tinfoil hat on, mm-hmm. but people can register them to vote. Yeah, you know what I mean? And then it's like, yeah, oh, we're building. I'm a recently reg- – well, I've been a voter registrar before, but for the campaign, I became a voter deputy registrar. And one of the things that they said was you can absolutely register homeless people, people who do not have a home. Uh, you can absolutely register them to vote. And their address can be under the bridge, under 35. You just got to write it down. And they got to be able to be found by the, by the person who delivers their mail. And uh, they can be registered to vote. And uh, and that's again, that's I think that's awesome. You know, we need more. We need more voter uh, participation and the, the people who are homeless have a voice, too. You know, they're not all again. These we got to we, we can't just encompass the homeless people all into one group. These are women, too. These are children. These are uh, people with drug uh, drug issues, people who are coming from poverty, mental issues, people who just haven't been given a shot at life. You know, so yeah. it's just uh, it's a it's a complicated issue. It's a sticky issue uh, to talk about. It's, just, it's it, but you know we have to talk about it because if we don't talk about it, if we don't disagree on things, if we're not conversing, then we're never going to c- come to a common ground. We're never going to find a, a, no. a common solution. And the more we're shut down from each other, we, uh, and the more we're, we're being told we can't like 
you know, go to our jobs or the more we're being told to stay home because of this whatever virus and whatnot, yeah. the more isolated we become and the less we talk and yeah. the more divided we become. Like, yeah. dude, I... Uh, well, in my opinion, I feel like if we would have just sort of just, you know, been conscious, been human beings, respectful human beings, this is, this is where yeah. we This is where me and you kind of sort of like not agreeing on about Wait, how to I, shut I down. I agree with being a respectful human being. No, no, yeah. Yeah, no I agree too. <laughs> but what I'm saying is like being shut down for so long, right? I, I feel like we, if we're going to shut down, it should have been done in a more, con- like you're saying, in a more conscionable way. And some of us should have respected the rules, you know, just let's let, let's let our pride down for a little bit. Let's uh, wear the mask. Let's uh, keep our social distancing. Let's not be out there protesting in the middle of a pandemic. Exactly. exactly. So the like, same people that know, are telling us to do all this mask bullshit and to stay home and not go to bars are the same people that were encouraging protesting, yeah, which saw, makes well, no uh, sense. Dude. Our, it makes, our, our council member was out there. Our district two council Mr. member, Mr. David David uh, Chinken. No, 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 no. He's not our council member. He's our candidate. No, oh, yeah. our council, our Delia? Current, yeah, was out, out there with the mask on, out there with the people protesting, like. And then just say that that's not going to spread the virus. Of course it does, man. People are chanting and they're, there's they're coughing until they're getting tear gas. Like you have to be a science denier to think that yeah. that's not going to help mm-hmm. spread it. But when that's not being talked about, of course people aren't going to trust you. Like there's got to respect comes on both sides, dude. Respect is given is earned where it's given. Yes. And if they're not giving us respect by being honest with us, why should we respect them? Well, it's not respecting them. It's, well, so that's respect that's okay. Saying, that's well, that's where the like, that's where the confusion comes from, right? Because what they're like, we don't want to say like what they're sometimes what they're saying is right but they're they're doing it in the wrong way right they're doing it like in this imposing way that's like i'm right you're wrong you got to do this like you know and that's you know we got to we got to sort of kind of filter through that and just be like respectful human beings just realize that there's something actually going out there like there's whatever it is covid the flu some kind of sickness is out there right affecting people who's you know killing people so let's just be conscionable human beings let's follow the rules or let's follow our own rules, right? Or at least what we think is right. And wear the mask, social distance, and, you know, do the right thing. Keep our restaurants clean. Keep our grocery stores clean. Something that, in my opinion, should have been being done yes, the whole time no. already. Uh, and so COVID kind of came in and yeah. sort of corrected that and, shift, and shifted that. And, you know, something that should have been done the whole time. Uh, but as far as wearing a mask and social distance, that, that's your, also your right as an American. If you want to go out and risk risk your life or risk getting other people sick, or if you don't feel like you're risking people, that's also your right to believe that too. Yeah. You know, uh, but you know we're all Americans. I believe that we should we should have just bit the bullet. You know, Tempor- wear the mask temporarily. Yeah, yeah, t- temporarily. Temporarily. Right? But and then you also got to get just compensation if you're yes. being told you can't work and if there's yes. no plan. Then yes. you you shouldn't be telling anybody to bite a bullet with no right. plan in place to help. And not, the, the and not small defund the police yeah. and not know what to do with the funds. Right. If you're gonna yeah. def- if you're gonna defund our, if funds. you're gonna if you're gonna defund our police, like you said, let's uh, at least uh, you know use those millions of dollars to help struggle struggling businesses, help pedicab drivers, help the homeless, help people that are actually well, you they know, they you know. they overly help the homeless, but it's, <laughs> they really just help their buddies at the nonprofits yeah. just to to give them a payday. But anyway, yeah. um, Casey. Thank you so much. Yes, I really appreciate it. Um, hey, we're still in the midst of early voting before we start. Uh, if you live in 78744, 78745. 78748, uh, 78617. Uh, it's, yep. it's not too late to vote. Casey Ramos, that's the guy you got to vote for, dude. He's got my full endorsement. And even if we disagree on stuff, he's the most reasonable candidate. Um, running in this entire um, city council race that's actively trying to actually get a seat right now. So Casey Ramos, that's the dude you got to vote for. Um, I feel so comfortable saying this. I'm super excited that you came on the pedicab and talked to me. So thank you, dude. And you're killing it. Keep killing with the hat, bro. You're you're going to do great things. I I have to let people know, man, we're still in Texas, man. We're still in Texas. Texas We're not, we're not, we're not in California anymore. We're not in California just yet. And let's keep it that way. Thank you. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. All right.